Good evening. Friends, if you would turn in your Bibles to Psalm 28 as we continue our series through the first book of the Psalms. It's good to see you. I missed you this morning. I'm getting over something, and so I'm just preaching, not doing the Lord's Supper. And if I don't shake your hand afterwards, that's out of love for you. So um, we're, we're in Psalm 28, and as you turn there, David is in trouble. And that's nothing new to us in the first book of the Psalter. Uh, he's in trouble a lot, but you know, so are we. And so what David does when he's in trouble is instructive for us. And what David does over and over and over again in trouble is he prays and he teaches us to do the same. And so before we read together, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for giving us your word. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve to have you, our God, speaking to us, sinners though we are, and yet you do. You revealed to us your word. You have given us your instruction so that we might know who you are, so that we would know who we are and our state before you, that we are sinners in desperate need of your cleansing. And you have given us most profoundly the word made flesh, the Lord Jesus, who lived and died and rose so that we could be forgiven for our sin, so that we could have life, so that we could have fellowship with you, our God, now and forever. Lord, would you help us as we give our attention to your word this evening? Would you nourish us and strengthen us by your word? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word from Psalm 28, beginning in verse 1. Of David, to you, O Lord, I call. My rock, be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults, and with my song I give thanks to Him. The Lord is the strength of His people. He is the saving refuge for His anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. This is the word of the Lord. May He add His blessing to it. You may be seated. Well, friends, you know that David suffered in all kinds of ways. Um, Saul's long pursuits, the Philistines and war with them, the Amalekites. And then uh, his son Absalom attempted an uprising after him. And David doesn't give us the exact situation for uh, what brought about this particular prayer. Uh, but David had many, many encounters with wicked people. And he describes wicked men in verse 3. The example he gives is people who speak peace while evil is in their hearts. These are hypocrites. So it may mean that David particularly is being lied about and slandered. 
Saul's manhunt for David made it seem like David was trying to overthrow him, even though 1 Samuel makes it clear over and over and over again that that's not the case. But Absalom, especially, when he sought to overthrow his dad's rule, uh, he he set up a a very particular uh, scheme against his father. Whenever people came to the king because they had some dispute that they needed to resolve, Absalom met them, he headed them off, and he lied to them. He told them that the king doesn't have anyone to hear their disputes. But if only he, Absalom, were king, then he would listen to them, and he would give them their just reward, because, of course, Absalom is on the side of whoever came to speak to him. And so it says in 2 Samuel 15, 6, So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So Absalom is hypocritical toward his father, and was, uh, was bringing in other schemers around himself, uh, those who were ready to crown him king after four years. Well, David succeeded over all of them. Uh, Saul and Absalom, both of them fell. The Lord delivered David uh, from those potential disasters. The Lord gave David justice. And here, David is praying because he's in trouble. Uh, maybe one of those events that I just mentioned. But he's crying out to the Lord, and in so doing, he's teaching us to do the same. And so see four things about this passage with me this evening. First, see the God who hears in verses one through verses one and two. In in verse one, to you, O Lord, I call my rock, be not deaf to me. So David starts by calling out to Yahweh, the Lord who is personal and covenant keeper. And it is a desperate plea that he's making. David's in a life or death situation. And and for David, God is his rock. He's going to say later in verse 8, he's his refuge. He's the one in whom he can hide. David has absolute confidence in the Lord. And the prayer that he's bringing to the Lord is, do not be deaf to me. And, And then he asks that the Lord not be silent. So he wants the Lord to hear him. And then he wants the Lord to respond to him. So why is David saying it this way? Well, David knows that in times of suffering, that those times appear to us to be times that God is not listening to us. When we experience difficulty, we ask for relief. And that relief is not always immediate. When we ask God to act, he doesn't always act according to our timetable. And so what does David do? Does David say, well, I prayed once, that should be good enough? Does he say, I left a message, and I'll wait for him to get back to me? No, David prayed, and then he keeps praying. David is committed, he's persistent, he prays with his whole heart, he prays his fears and his concerns, and he keeps on doing it. You see how vulnerable David is in this prayer. He fears that if the Lord doesn't answer him, He's going to go down into the pit. You might think, are kings supposed to talk this way? Aren't they supposed to always be really confident? Well, when he prays, David brings everything that he's feeling, everything that he's thinking to the Lord. He can completely unveil himself before his God. And and part of that unveiling is he says, Lord, if you don't answer me, I will be like those who go down into the pit. 
The, the word translated pit here is, is sometimes translated cistern, this large underground container for collecting water. So it's where Joseph's brothers threw him when they were trying to decide if they were going to kill him. Uh, it's not the word pit here is not the word sheol, but the word here is often used as an analogy for the grave. David, David is saying, I'm dead if you don't answer me. So we see here that David depends on God to hear him. And David also recognizes that it is a grace for the Lord to hear us. David doesn't pray as someone who claims that he deserves for God to answer every one of his requests. He, he uses the word mercy twice in the psalm, asking God to be merciful to him. David knows, this is true for all of us, we have not earned God's ear. In fact, in our sin, we have done the opposite. The Lord should turn his head away and stop his ears from every prayer that we say we deserve for the heavens to be like iron and for our prayers not to penetrate. But you know what we have in Christ. The Lord Jesus is our intercessor. Jesus is the one who brings our prayers to the Father. So David is trusting in God's grace that God hears. And we can be confident knowing that God hears because Christ has promised us that he is interceding for us even now. So we can pray, as Hebrews tells us, with boldness. We can pray with persistence as Jesus told us to. Like the widow uh, who, is, uh, who is not getting justice. We're to pray and pray again. We're to pray humbly. We don't presume on God's mercy. And so we pray confessing our sin, praying confessing our undeservedness for God to hear us in the first place. And yet we pray trusting Him. God hears you because of Christ. And so we can rejoice and pray and pray again. Well, we should also see that in times where it feels like God is silent, that he's not answering the way that we would like him to and we're discouraged, that God has given us help for our prayers. And we see this in verse 2 where David says, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. The wording there, the most holy sanctuary, is referring to the holy of holies in the tabernacle. And later it'll be the Holy of Holies in the temple. It's that place where the Ark of the Covenant rests. That place where the high priest only enters once a year in Old Covenant worship. The Lord gave instruction to Moses to build the Ark of the Covenant and said that the Ark of the Covenant would be his footstool. The place of his presence uh, with his people. Of course, heaven and earth cannot contain the Lord. And yet he was choosing to show that he was close to his people. And so David is saying that he's praying toward that place. Then that brings up the question, why is David praying in the direction of a place? Well, one reason is it's a helpful contrast. David is looking at the pit. He's afraid that he's going down into the grave unless God helps him. And so he's turning his eyes away from the grave toward the Lord's presence. He's getting his head out of the graveyard. 
and looking at the place where God's glory dwells. Even though God is present everywhere, He's chosen to communicate Himself in this way to His people under the Old Covenant. Another reason for this seems seems to be that this was a sign that the Lord had given. It was a visible help for God's people. Solomon, when he dedicates the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, he tells the people to pray in the direction of the temple. Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem when he was in exile in Daniel 6.10. But it's not because the temple itself was this holy construction, and it's not because the dirt under the, on the ground was holy itself. It's because God had given his people a sign. God had given his people an emblem of his nearness to him, to them, and David was just making use of the signs that God had given him. It was a way of remembering that God made promises to his people and that he keeps those promises. And so today, for us, we don't have the same sign. And so we don't do the same thing. We don't pray in one direction or another. We pray to the Lord. Uh, But has God given us signs to help us in our faith? Has God given us signs to encourage us in our prayers? Well, he has in the new covenant. The Lord has given us His Word and the sacraments. And so we hear His Word read and preached. And our faith is strengthened because we're hearing God's very Word. And then the Holy Spirit attends to us by faith. And we take the Lord's Supper. And as we do, the Holy Spirit is at work in us when we come by faith. And we are spiritually nourished. We are spiritually built up. And we do all of this in public worship. We can read the Word and pray privately. And then when we come together publicly, we hear the Word and we pray together and we partake of the sacraments together. And it's in these means, brothers and sisters, that the Lord strengthens us. And so are you feeling unanswered by the Lord? Are you feeling not listened to? Well, friends, are you reading the Word? Are you coming to the Lord to hear from Him in the Word that He has given you? And are you doing this on your own? Are you doing this as a family? Then are you coming to public worship to meet with the Lord with that expectation that the Lord has promised and He will meet with you, that He will encourage you by His Word and by the sacrament as you come in faith? Well, so David is praying persistently and he's encouraging us to do the same, to pray persistently, to pray with uh, desperation even, totally dependent on God. And David's praying, making use of all the helps that God has given for his faith. Well, now David comes to sort of the main portion of his prayer, this lament for the evildoers around him. See with me the God who repays in verses 3 through 5. It starts in verse 3 with, Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their heart. So David is facing wicked men, and he asks God to deal with them in a particular way. God, He wants God to repay them for what they are doing. In verse 4, he says, giving them according to their work. Lord, pay them their wages. That's what David is saying. And he starts with this plea in verse 3, do not drag me off with the wicked. 
Why is David praying that way? Well, David is asking God to make a distinction. On the one hand, he's confessing that he too is a sinner, but he has sought refuge in the Lord. And so do not drag me off, even though it feels like I'm near death. It's very vivid language, isn't it? I mean, nobody wants to be dragged off anywhere at any time, but especially to the grave and ultimately to judgment and hell, which is where the wicked who have not repented are going. That's what the Lord does to the wicked. There, there are some who don't like the idea of God dragging off anyone anywhere, but we need to remember that God is just, and He will not let the workers of evil, as verse 3 says, succeed in the end. This is why David can pray and trust confidently. David is asking God to destroy the wicked and not him, to make a surgical strike, uh, to take them down, but to spare me. David describes these wicked men as those who speak peace with their neighbors, but evil is in their hearts. And so again, these are hypocrites. They are those who act one way, but then they hide their true intentions. These are schemers. Maybe they're those uh, who joined in along with Absalom's rebellion. But notice what David is doing in the face of injustice. David does not seek revenge. He trusts the Lord, who's able to perfectly repay the wicked. David prays when he is the victim of injustice. And as you, as you read about the injustices against Christians that go on throughout the world, in places like North Korea and China and Nigeria and others, it's appalling. It's awful. Perhaps it makes you angry. Pray. Ask the Lord first to save the persecutors of the church like he did with Saul. But then trust that the Lord ultimately is the one who brings justice. Christ is the King. He is victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Over sin, self, and Satan. And one day, Jesus will return to deal with all the enemies of His beloved bride. He knows how to perfectly repay the workers of evil. And if they do not repent before the day when they meet the Lord face to face, then they have only been heaping coals on their head and adding to their judgment on that day. It's a sober thing to think about. But the Lord means it ultimately as a comfort for His suffering people. He sees. He knows. And so trust Him. You can endure all sorts of things trusting in Him because you know that He sees and will perfectly repay. Before we move on, look at verse 5 with me and notice what drives the, the wickedness that David sees. He says, because they do not regard the works of the Lord or the work of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. They do not regard the work of the Lord nor the work of His hands. Now, these who David is facing, these, these are people who work evil with their hands, it says, but they don't regard the work of the Lord's hands. See that word regard? It's not that they don't see the work of the Lord's hands but they intentionally ignore it. They suppress the truth, as Romans 1.18 says. The wicked convince themselves that they don't live in God's world. 
In their minds, they live in a fantasy where evil goes unpunished and where they get to make the rules about what is right and what is wrong. They pretend they don't live in God's ordered world where there is good or evil, reward or punishment, salvation by grace in Christ alone, or damnation because we stand only in our works, which are like filthy rags. And so what is the fate of these wicked ones? Well, it is to be torn down and never rebuilt. Like the Tower of Babel, like Babylon, the Lord won't let them keep going on forever. And so it's a warning to the wicked to take your eyes off your own hands and your wicked plans and look at the Lord's hands, His wonderful plans, and repent and believe because you can find grace in Him. There's also, friends, a warning for us as believers not to copy the ways of the world. There are times when, uh, f- when those uh, around us who have no regard for the Lord start to look like they're doing pretty well. And we can begin to start thinking in pretty worldly ways when we start to feel like the losers. You see this in marriage. You see this in family conflict. You see this very clearly in politics. As soon as you start to feel like you're losing, you start to be tempted uh, to sin. Uh, you're, start to, you, you, you're tempted to slander your opponent. And friends, let no sin like this be named among us. And if it can be, repent. Find grace in Christ. Do what David did and pray. Trust yourself to the Lord. King David shows us that God repays the wicked. But now at verse 6, after going so low with David, there's a real change and there's a high point. Uh, David rejoices that God has answered his prayers. And he rejoices in God as the one who shields him. See this with me in verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my plea for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. God heard David's prayer. And so David's going to praise the Lord as his shield. And, and David, if you haven't gotten this yet, David always prays. He prays when he suffers and he prays when he succeeds. He prays when he has problems and he prays when he has, when, when he has prosperity. Uh, David does not pray in his trouble and then go on and forget about the Lord. Calvin uses really strong language here. He says the person who won't do this is a hypocrite. That's a hard word because we all recognize this struggle. But if you only pray when things are going wrong and you never pray when things are going well, you need to examine yourself. Uh, we, We all recognize this, that we find that prayer flows easier in times of want. But friends, if you find that prayer is foreign to you in times of plenty, friend, go to the Lord. And ask Him to put love for Him in your heart that you would be driven to pray and to rejoice in Him. God has blessed David. And so He blesses him in return. He praises him. Blessed be the Lord, He says at the beginning of verse 6. And when we say blessed about God, when we use this for Him, 
Uh, it means that we're thanking Him or praising Him. He blesses us and we praise Him. We bless Him back. He adds to us and we can't add anything to Him. We can't give anything to Him that He doesn't already have. We can thank Him for how good He is. That's how we reciprocate God's blessing. And what does David praise God for? Well, David praises God for being his strength and his shield. For being the one who enables him to act, his strength. And for being the one who protects him, his shield. So if, if anyone ever has the temptation to boast in their own strength, it would be a king, wouldn't it? I mean, they have an army at their disposal. They have servants that do whatever they tell them to. They have walls and fortresses to protect them. But David knows that every day of his life is given by God and that every act as a king would mean nothing if God were to withdraw his hand. David knows that he is wholly dependent on God. Another way to think about this is what is the king's shield? What would it look like for David to give advice to future generations of kings after him? What does a king trust in to be his protection and power, his security and strength? If the king's shield is not the Lord, then he only hopes in earthly things. And those will fail him, all of them. David would commend every king after him, make sure your strength is in the Lord. Because there is no other strength. In, as, as time went on, Ahaz sought help from the Assyrians. Hezekiah sought help from the Babylonians. Zedekiah looked for military assistance from the Egyptians. As soon as things started to really press on them and they got scared, they went to other nations to make, pagan nations at that, to make alliances, to fight for them. Because they were not trusting in the Lord and it always went bad for them. They were looking for security in all the wrong places. David says, the Lord is the only sufficient shield. You may not be able to control them, to control him, which is what they wanted to do. You can't control him, but you can trust him. Well, what about for us? Is the Lord our shield? Is the Lord our strength? Do we see that every day when we rise in the morning, that that day is His gift to us, that Him waking us up is a gift, and we should turn the day back to Him in praise? Do we see that every evening that we lay our heads down, that, she, he, that He has shielded us from who knows what during that day? Uh, who knows how many more toils and snares that we were not even aware of? Do we praise Him for these things? And do we sing about it? God is David's shield. And so David says he's going to sing about this. And we remember here, as David says, my heart exalts and with my song, I give thanks to him. We remember that ours is a singing faith. We don't just read the words on the page and then agree with the facts of the gospel. We grab hold of Christ and we sing for joy. We are supposed to sing with our whole hearts and our whole minds. The gospel has come to us all the way down into our hearts and cleansed them. Our hearts were hard as a rock, desperately sick, full of envy and lust and hatred toward God and man. 
completely dead, beyond hope. No resuscitation would do. And God gave us a new heart. Christ lived and died and rose to forgive all your sin, to give you a brand new heart that beats with love for your Savior. And as we heard this morning, glows as if it's on fire. Our hearts are new. And more than that, more than that blessing of justification, the Lord just keeps blessing us and keeps caring for us. And so we praise, we sing. Will you, do you sing of your Redeemer? David ends by inviting the church to sing with him. And he wants us to sing, see this with me in verses 8 and 9, He wants us to sing to the God who carries us. He says, the Lord is the strength of his people. He's the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. It's such a comforting picture that David gives us. And it's a familiar one throughout the Psalms that God is our shepherd. But but he's not just the shepherd of David He's the shepherd for all of David's people, for all of God's people. Look at the connection that David makes between himself and his people in verse 8. He says, the Lord is the strength of his people. And then he parallels this idea. He's the saving refuge of his anointed. So who's the anointed? Well, it's David. David's talking about himself. The anointed is the king. He was anointed by Samuel and set apart for the task of king. And so the good of the people is tied up in the good of the king. That's a really important idea for Israel. And why is it so important? Well, God's people were learning to look for their Messiah. That's the Hebrew word for anointed. They're looking for a greater David to come. David suffered, as as he talked about in the psalm, and he took refuge in God. But Jesus suffered. And Jesus suffered the full weight of God's wrath against sin, and then he died. But then God delivered him, raising him to life. Jesus took refuge in God. And because we are united with Jesus, the anointed one, God is our refuge as well. God is our strength, who will raise us up with him too. God saved his anointed, And God will save His people. And so David closes with this wonderful prayer for God's people in verse 9. He says, Oh, save your people. How wonderful the Messiah's salvation will be. And David said even more than he probably knew in verse 8, Jesus Christ will save His people from their sins. Not just earthly trouble, but will forgive our sins and bring us to glory. In the, in the second part of that statement, he says, bless your heritage. And this is one of the most beautiful and humbling statements in this whole psalm. Uh, your heritage is what your parents leave for you after they're gone. It's a precious treasure that's coming to you. The Lord is eternal. He has no parents. He has no beginning. The Lord doesn't need anything. So why would we talk about the Lord's heritage? Well, it means that the Lord has a chosen heritage. The Lord has a treasure that He has chosen for Himself, and it's you. That's who He's chosen. If you are in Christ, then the Lord has set 
His love on you. He blesses you because you are precious to Him. And the whole reason that you're precious to Him is because He chose you. There's nothing in you that attracted Him to you. You came to Him in your need and you asked Him for forgiveness and only later did you find out that it was His idea all along. God's love is not based on you. It's based on His choice. And because of that, you cannot be lost. If you have come to the Son, then it is His promise to you that He will carry you all the way home. And that's the last image that David gives us, that God is a shepherd. Be their shepherd, verse 9, and carry them forever. That shepherd is a, it's a kingly image. David really was a shepherd when he was a kid. And many would have thought of him as the shepherd of Israel because he's their king. But David is saying that there's a shepherd greater than him. There's the Lord, the true king. And he will shepherd you. He will carry you forever. What a comforting image that is. It's all affection. It's all protection and care. Isaiah 40 verse 11 says something similar. It says that the Lord who is the shepherd, he will tend his flock. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom, close to his chest. And he will gently lead those that are with young, those who are in greatest needs. And of course, Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows us and we follow him. He gives us eternal life and no one can snatch us out of his father's hands. And so friends, do you know what it is to be carried by the Lord. What a wonderful picture of resignation, of submission to Him. And it's a paradox, really, isn't it? I mean, there is real effort in sanctification, in growing in Christ, in committing yourself to continuing to pray even while suffering. We are to put on the armor of God and fight against our sin. There's real effort in the Christian life. And yet, the whole way, if you are in Christ, then He is carrying you as His sheep. And that ought to make us sing. Friends, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank You that You hear us. That even when we have a sense of Your silence, Lord, we can trust that You hear our every word, that You catch our tears in Your bottle, that You comfort us, and that You are with us, that You are working all things together for good. Lord, you have told us that the wicked will not prosper. And we pray that you would change hearts so that wicked people would turn to Christ and love you. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bring an end to suffering and to wickedness all over the world. Lord, we trust that you will shield us and shepherd us all our days. Lord, help us to come to you in faith that you might carry us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.